Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We are so excited that you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our series, Who is God? If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Enjoy the sermon. Amen. Amen. One of my favorite quotes by A.W. Tozier goes like this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. One of the classic mistakes we make when we try to think about God is that we try to understand and deduce God and who He is based on who we are. We have faults, failures, shortcomings, and inconsistencies. And if we're not careful, we wind up with a God that looks a lot like us, and that affects greatly the way we relate to Him. Maybe there is nowhere we do this in a more obvious way than our view of God's forgiveness. We tend to think that God forgives the way that we forgive. And our forgiveness is very different than God's forgiveness. That's a good place to say amen. Our forgiveness is very different than God's forgiveness. For example, let me give you some phrases that describe our forgiveness. Our forgiveness is available, but not yet. I want to wait and see just how you're going to respond. I want to wait and see your behavior. I'm willing to forgive you, but let's just wait and see. Anybody identify with that? Anybody ever experienced that kind of? uh, Forgiveness is available, but now let's just wait and see. Before I give it, I want to see that you're serious. I want to know that you're genuine in your apology. I want to know that there's sincerity behind the, oh, I'll forgive you. It's available, but, but, but not yet. Let me give you another one. Our forgiveness is filed, not forgotten. I'll forgive you, but I'm going to put that right over here. And if you ever do that again, you just need to know that I have the file handy. And I will pull the file out, I will open it up, and I will remind you in great detail about this conversation. That we're, oh, I'm forgiving you. But I got it filed. Anybody ever been forgiven lately? Anybody tired of the file being dragged out? Be careful. Don't say amen too loud right there. Especially not with an elbow. (laughs) Here's another one. 
our forgiveness is limited. So don't push it. I'll forgive you this time. You ever heard those words? I'll forgive you this time. But if you ever do this again, I'm done. You ever receive forgiveness like that? You see, because we have a forgiveness that's available but not yet, a forgiveness that's filed but not forgotten, a forgiveness that's limited so don't push it, that's how we tend to relate to God. And it's really what we think about the forgiveness of God in our lives. As a matter of fact, there are some of you sitting here this weekend And you are struggling in your relationship with God because you think God's forgiven you like that. You've walked in here today feeling the weight, feeling the guilt, feeling the shame because you think he forgave you, but it's filed. You think he's willing to forgive you, but he wants to see if you're serious this time. If you're visiting with us this weekend, we have been walking together through a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament book of Exodus. If you got your Bible, open it to the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 34. And in chapter 34, we're we're seeking to answer the question that really Moses posed to God. And when he, he basically said to God, God, who are you? Lord, show me who you are. And I got some good news for us today. When God answered the question who he was, he included this idea that he is a forgiving God. And listen to me, listen. And I'm so glad to tell you this. His forgiveness is not like ours. I've been studying this this week. And man, in my own life, just been overwhelmed again. About the forgiveness of God. Let's read it. Psalm 34. Beginning in verse 6. The Bible says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. We talked about that. Slow to anger. We talked about that. Abounding in steadfast love. We talked about that. And faithfulness. We talked about that. Keeping his steadfast love for thousands. We talked about that. Now, here's where we're going to zero in this weekend. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children on the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth 
and worshiped. Talk about the forgiveness of God, and I want to do it by sharing with you three truths out of these verses. And here's the first one. These are the three truths that that God really has been pressing in my own life this week. So here's the first one. My sin is great. Now listen, I wanted to start with the phrase, our sin is great, because that's true. But as I pressed into this this week, God was just dealing with me personally. So I want you to say that phrase out loud, and I want you to say it for your own self. Let's say it together. My sin is great. We live in a day where we minimize sin. We have other words for it. A mistake. A bad habit. A hang up. A mess up. An uh uh-oh. We not only minimize sin, we excuse sin. The devil made me do it. You just don't understand what I'm going through. They just bring out the worst in me. We not only minimize sin and excuse sin, we're now entertained by sin. It's the punchline of the joke that we laugh at. It's the plot of the sitcom that we watch at night. It's the message in the music that we listen to. But you need to understand God's perspective towards sin is very different than ours. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament Hebrew, there are nine different words used to describe the depravity and the grotesqueness and the depth of our sin. God uses three of those words in this description of himself. When he says he's forgiving, he names three of the most commonly used Hebrew words for sin. Iniquity, transgression, and sin. And each of these words points to the severity and the depravity of sin in our lives. I want you to hear these words. First of all, the word iniquity. It's a Hebrew word that carries the idea of being twisted or perverted. In the Hebrew, the root means something that's bent or crooked, and it's taking that which God designed to be good and God designed to be holy, and from the depravity and, and, and lostness of our heart, we, we twist it and we bend it to service. For example, the tongue. God gave us the tongue to be a fountain of blessing. He gave it to us for edification, for encouragement, for love, and to speak truth. And we take the tongue and we twist it and we use it for gossip and abuse and hurt and lies. 
When you and I sin against God, we're, we're taking that which God, when I sin against God, I'm taking that which God designed to be pure and holy. And from the depth of the wickedness of my heart, I'm twisting it and I'm perverting it and I'm bending it to fit my will. The second word that he uses is the word transgression. In the Hebrew, it's a word that means to step across a boundary. It's the idea that God has drawn a line and said, don't step across this line. Now, when God gives us commands in Scripture, I've told you this before, whenever God says don't do something, he's saying what? Don't hurt yourself. When God says do something, he's saying help yourself. God never draws a boundary to rob us in the joy and pleasure of what's on the other side. God draws a boundary because he created life. He knows best how it's lived. And he gave it to us, that boundary to protect us, to shepherd us, to guard us, and to guide us into the best life possible. But here's what we do. We transgress. We step across God's boundary. But the word transgression here is not just stepping across God's boundary by accident. It's the image of the child that you say, don't touch that. And they look you right in the eye. As if they were Clint Eastwood and say, go ahead and make my day. And with their eyes piercing your eyes, they reach and they touch it. God gave us these boundaries. And how many times in my own life, God, I'm going to do it my way. The third word is the word sin. It's the most commonly used word in the Hebrew language to describe our sin. It means to miss the mark. It means to fall short. It means to not measure up. Meaning in contrast to the righteous, holy standard of God... We, God is here, and it's not like we're here, like God is here and we are here. It's not even close. Like we're so far. Let me show you two verses that, that will help us understand why our sin is so great. One is out of Romans chapter 3. Look what the Bible says. Four, say it out loud. What's the second word? Let me tell you what that means. You and me both. For all have what? There's the big word. Say the first four words out loud again. For all have. Say it again. For all. Here's what that means. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your journey's been. I don't care what your background is. I don't care where you've come from. Everybody in this room in some way, shape, or fashion has sinned against God. And if we got real honest, we hadn't just done it once or twice. 
Like if we had the time to go into all, God only mentioned three of the nine words. Thank God he only mentioned three of the nine words. If you read all nine words and you read the depth of our depravity, you realize, man, that we have so sinned against God. We have so transgressed against God. We have so rebelled against God. We have so fallen short of his righteousness. Our sin is so great. We're all of sin and fall short. This is to, talking about what we've already done. We've all past tense sinned, and here's continuous ongoing action. We keep on falling. It's not like we got it behind us and we're now better. Oh, no, we've all sinned, and we all daily fall short of the glory of God. I'll show you another verse, Isaiah 59, 2. That your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Here's what that means. God is so holy. God is so righteous. God is so pure. God cannot, God will not be in fellowship with sin. Man, as I read this and studied this this week, as I stand before you here tonight, I'm just telling you, my sin is great over and over and over again and again and again and listen if we gave you the microphone and you were willing to be transparent vulnerable and honest everyone sitting in this room would say the same thing my sin is great and it's over and over and over and again and again and again. But let me tell you the second truth of these verses. God's forgiveness is greater than my sin. <laughs> Woo, my sin is great. Oh, but listen, God's forgiveness is greater than my sin. Moses had led this sinful people Israel. Moses himself had sinned. Moses had recently saw them worshiping a golden calf. And Moses says, God, show me who you are. And God said, I am the Lord, the Lord, who forgives transgression and iniquity and sin. Hey, aren't you glad God is in the forgiving business? That was not a sufficient enough amen to that question. Listen, I'm going to ask you again to give you another shot at that. Aren't you glad God is in the forgiving business? I don't know about you, but I need the forgiveness of God in my life. The word forgive that he uses here is a word that means to lift up. It means to carry off. It means to take away. And it's used as a participle here, meaning it's not describing something God does. It's describing someone who God is, meaning this God, by his very character, is one who forgives. It's his nature to forgive. Let me give you a definition of forgiveness. Here's the definition. Forgiveness is the removal of the guilt and shame of sin, <laughs> past, present, and what? Whew, anybody glad to hear that? Yeah. 
to grasp the reality of forgiveness, to grasp the reality of the depths of this. Listen, you may say, how is this possible? Let me tell you how it's possible. It's possible through Christ. You see, Jesus, God, came into the world and did for us what we could not do on our own. Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus offered his body on a cross. And guess what Jesus did on the cross? He took all of our sin, past, present, future. You say, wait a minute, you're talking about, listen, I hope you realize that all the sin you've committed was in the future when Jesus died. Which means if his death is not sufficient for future sin, we're all in a whole lot of trouble. On the cross, Jesus took all of your sin and all of my sin in my past, all of your sin and all of my sin in my present, all of your sin and all of my sin in my future, and on the cross, Jesus took it all on himself. He drank the full cup of the wrath and judgment of God against sin. On the cross, Jesus died for our sin, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead, and when he did, it was a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sin. Now, through Jesus, we can be forgiven. And so that we can understand the depths of the meaning of God's forgiveness, I want to listen to the testimony of a man in the Bible who experienced it. He's a man named David. If you know much about the story of David, his sin was great. But I love what the Bible says about him. The Bible says about David, he was a man after God's own heart. Which means, whew, we got a shot. Let me tell you about one particular incident in David's life. You can read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. You can go home and read it tonight. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. David's king of Israel. He's become pretty proud of being king. We know that because 2 Samuel 11 opens with this story. David, while the kings are out to battle, David chose to stay home and sit on his rooftop and bask in the glory of his kingdom. And he looked over and saw on another rooftop a woman taking a bath. And he began to lust after her. He wanted her. He had servants in his household go and invite her to the palace. And David had a night with her. And then in shame he sent her home. And then David got word that she'd gotten pregnant. She had a husband who was in David's army fighting on the battlefield. So David brings her husband home off the battlefield and sends him home to be with his wife, hoping he could cover his sin by him going in and sleeping with his wife. And nobody would ever know. But Uriah, her husband, had too much integrity. While the soldiers were out fighting, he slept at the doorsteps of the king's palace and wouldn't go home that night. So David did the only thing he knew to do. He sent Uriah back out into the battle, and he put him on the front lines and had him executed so that... He could then bring Bathsheba into his house and make her his wife and try to cover his sin. Nathan, the prophet of God, came to David. He told David a story. He told him a story about a wealthy man who owned land and cattle and sheep and had an out-of-town guest come and stay in his home. And to provide for the out-of-town guest, he wanted to serve lamb and 
rather than taking one of the many, many, many sheep that he had, there was a neighbor of his that was a poor man who only had one sheep, and that one sheep was like the family pet. It lived in the house. It ate off the dinner table with the family. The children loved this sheep, and rather than sacrificing one of the many sheep, he went and stole the one sheep from the poor man and served it. And, and when Nathan told David that story, it angered David and said, you show me that man, and I'll bring him to justice. Nathan looked at him and said, David, you are the man. He crushed David in repentance and he wrote Psalm 51. You can read that on your own where he confesses his sin. And after confessing his sin in Psalm 51, he sat down and he wrote Psalm 32. Listen what David said. Blessed. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And with that simple statement, David tells us three things about the depths of God's forgiveness that I want to share with you and then we'll be done. Number one, God's forgiveness removes the guilt of our sin. God's forgiveness removes the guilt of our sin. Here's what that means. He doesn't hold it against us anymore. Did you hear the phrase, whose transgression is forgiven? There's that word, transgression. It's that rebellion. David knew that he'd defied God's authority. He knew that he'd rebelled against God's law. He knew that he'd stepped across God's boundary. He knew that he'd shook his face or his hand in the face of God and said, I don't want your way. I want my way. But now David had experienced the forgiveness of God. God had lifted up that guilt and he had carried it away and David says how blessed is the person who's experienced the forgiveness of God I'm sure as David used that word forgiven to be picked up and taken away there's a typo there we'll fix that we'll fix that I'm a little anal when I see that I can't not see that it says forgiven all right that's that's the way we say it back in Alabama we forgiven I knew you saw it. I just wanted you to know I saw it. All right, save your emails. I saw it. I'll fix it. When David wrote that word, here's what he had to mean. He had to be thinking about the the sacrificial system and the scapegoat. You say, what is that? In the Old Testament sacrificial system, there was a special day called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And on that day, the high priest would take two goats. He'd sacrifice one goat and spread the blood on the altar as a symbol that one day a Messiah would come and shed his blood to cover our sin, to forgive our sin. But then he'd take the second goat and he would speak a word over that second goat and all the sins of the people representatively rested on that second goat. And he would lead that goat out into the wilderness to a place where nobody knew and he'd set it free so that it was gone. The guilt, the shame of their sin had been lifted up and carried away. And the children of Israel, as they watched that goat go out into the wilderness, they would begin to rejoice because their sin had been forgiven. You say, how far has God removed our sin from us? Let me tell you what David wrote in another place. Look at this, Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. When this was written, most people in the world thought the world was flat. I know some people (laughs) that play in the NBA still think the world may be flat. But it's not. 
But in this day, everybody believed the world was flat. So when they heard east and west, they didn't really think much about that. But here's what, what do we know today? The earth is what? It's round. Why is that a big deal? Because if God had said north and south, that'd mean his forgiveness is limited. Here's what I mean by that. If you leave here and travel north, eventually you're going to hit the North Pole. And guess what you're heading in? South. And if you travel south long enough, you're going to hit the South Pole. And then you're going to be traveling what? So the, the, the distance from north to south is a measurable distance. If God had said, I'm going to remove your sin from you as far as the north is from the south, here's what he would have been saying. I'm going to forgive you, but there's a limit. And when you cross that line, I'm done with you. But he said, I'm going to forgive it, and I'm going to remove it as far as the east is from the west. Guess what? If you leave this parking lot and head east, you know how long you can head east? Till you turn around and head west. You know why? Because you can head east forever. You can just go east all the way around until you just keep making laps around the globe. Why? Because the earth is not flat. The earth is round. Here's what that means. The distance between east and west is immeasurable. Here's what that means for you and me. When God says, I've forgiven you, when God says, I've lifted it up and carried away the guilt of your sin, he has removed it from us an immeasurable distance. No wonder David said, how blessed is the man. Let me tell you, the second thing forgiveness means, God's forgiveness covers the shame of our sin. Whose sin is, I love this word, covered. Covered. There's that word sin. It means to miss the mark, to fall short. David knew that he didn't measure up. And because of that, David was ashamed because he thought that's how God now sees him. There's some of you sitting here this weekend, and you've come in here. Yes, you're a Christian. Yes, you love the Lord. But you've got some sin in your life that continues to have victory over you. And you're sitting here today ashamed, thinking that God in some way has set a line, and you've crossed it, and he's done with you. Or thinking that every time you come in, God sees you as the one that just can't get it right. But David said, God in his infinite grace has covered. It's a word that means to conceal. It means to take something and cover it up so you can't see it anymore. You see, he's covered the shame of my sin with his garment of righteousness. I'm no longer viewed by my father as someone who continues to disappoint him. I'm not viewed by him as a sinner who is doing his best. I'm viewed by him as someone who is covered by his grace and clothed in his righteousness and viewed as a loved, accepted child of the father. The prophet Micah tells us how covered we are. Listen to it, Micah chapter 7. Micah was thinking about the forgiveness of God one day, and he was so overwhelmed by it. Listen how he starts the verse. Who's a God like you? Like, who does this? Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast. Say the next word. Oh, that means past, present, future. All our sins into the depths of the sea. Let me ask you a question. You ever lost anything in the ocean? Like there's lost and then there's ocean lost. 
on our sabbatical. We went down to Southern California. We were on the beach. Our grandkids flew in with their family, and we spent some time on the beach together. And Karis, our little granddaughter, four years old, loves to go find seashells, and she'd bring seashells, and she'd hand them to me like I've got a, I'm supposed to keep all. I'm, I'm, I'm figured out somewhere to put all these seashells. And so I knew she loved to do that. I was out in the shallows one day, and as I was standing there in the shallows, I noticed a seashell, and I reached down. I'm literally, the water's not above my knees, and I reached down to grab it, and by the time I get my hand in the sand, it's gone. Like I'm this deep, and I, I'm looking, I'm moving sand around, and I, it's just gone. Listen, God could have said, I buried your sin in the shallows of the sea, and it'd be covered. But he didn't say the shallows. Let me tell you what he covered your sin with in my, he covered it with the depths of the sea. Listen, listen. Did you know that the highest mountain peak in the world is Mount Everest and it's 29,000 feet tall? Did you know that the highest mountain peak in the world cannot be compared to the depths of the sea? As a matter of fact, the deepest trench we've ever uncovered is off the coast of Japan. It's called the Mariana Trench and it's over 36,000 feet deep. Not only is it 36,000 feet deep, it's five times wider than it is deep. Meaning it's 120 times larger than the Grand Canyon. Now get this. God said, yes, my sin is great. But God said, I've taken all your sin. All the sin of your past, all the sin of your present, all the sin of your future. And here's what God said he did. I've covered it. In the depths of the sea, meaning nobody will ever look at it again. Listen, including him. You say, I don't know about that. Let me show you. Let me show you. Look what Isaiah said. God, God is speaking here. In love, he's speaking about God. In love, you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you have cast, say it again, behind your, what? It's a phrase in Hebrew that describes the middle of your back. I want everybody to lean up out of your seat for a second. Lean up, lean up, lean up. I know you're comfortable. Lean up. Now I want you to look at the middle of your back. Go. If you can do that, you got problems, right? <laughs> you know what God said? I'm putting your sin somewhere that I'll never be able to see it again. He covered it. Number three, God's forgiveness wipes clean the record of my sin. Look what he said, whom the Lord counts no iniquity. There's that word iniquity, twisted, perverse. David knew that he'd perverted God's law. He knew he'd twisted God's design to serve his own desires. And here's what he felt. He felt the stain of his sin. But David is now rejoicing because God didn't count that against him anymore. The word count here is an accounting term. And it means to keep a record. My wife and I, like you, have to file taxes every year. And uh, being in ministry, we know that a lot of times they aud- we've been audited twice already. And so we keep file boxes like this with all of our records in the boxes. We keep them for years. We've got a lot of these in our house. And we have, as Christians, this idea that God has a box on all of us. 
and he can pull out the records. Yep. Yep. June 1987. Yep. February 1992. Yeah. 1996, 1997, 1998, 19 February, March, April, May, June, all over and over and over and over and over again. You know what this means? Because we come to God and say, here I am again. He says, again? I'm sorry. I have no record. I have no record of that ever having been against you. He counts it not against us. He has wiped the record clean. The blood of Jesus has erased my account. There is no record of my sin against him. That's why God said it this way. This is God speaking in Isaiah. Listen to what he said. I, I am he who, here's another accounting term, blots out. Aren't you glad that God's a blotter outer? Blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not, listen, what does it say? I will not what? That word remember, it means to recall, to mention, to think about, to to be remembered, to acknowledge, to make known. No, no, no. God doesn't forgive and forget. If he forgot, he'd never be God. Here's what I'm telling you he does. Sovereignly, he chooses to never remember it again. Yes, my sin is great. Yes, we've all sinned. Yes, our sin separates us from God. But God's forgiveness is greater than our sin. Let me give you two applications of this. First of all, if you're here today and you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ or you're watching online and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, this forgiveness that I've just described, listen, It doesn't matter what road you've been down. It doesn't matter how dark the travel, the the, the journey you've traveled. Right, Alex? It don't matter, right? It don't matter. It don't matter what road you've been down. It don't matter how dark the valley is that you've come out of. It don't matter how stained the garment is. It doesn't matter how tarnished your life is. Listen, it does not matter. Because of Jesus today, you can embrace the forgiveness of God and be made right with him. Luke 24 said it this way, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. 
And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Here's what I'm doing to you today. I'm proclaiming to you forgiveness in his name. All your sin, past, present, and future can be forgiven in Christ. You say, that sounds too good to be true. It is too good to be true. That's why it's called grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Today, you can turn from your sin. You can embrace Christ as Lord and Savior, and you can be forgiven. But there's also a challenge to us as Christians. You see, as Christians, our sin's forgiven, but when we do sin, it hurts our fellowship with God, not because He brings it up, but because we feel the shame and guilt again. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's some Christians here today that just need to make a fresh surrender, fresh turning, fresh repenting, confessing. Listen, I love this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Listen, he's already forgiven us. It's just a matter of us confessing. It doesn't say we got to ask him for forgiveness. When we confess it, forgiveness is done. It's done. He didn't say if we confess our sins and ask him. No, if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He'll forgive. Why? Because it's already been done in Jesus. Last truth, and I'm done. I can't close without saying this. God's forgiveness doesn't remove the temporary consequences of sin in this life. And I said it that way because, listen, ultimately we're going to get to heaven and even the consequences of my sin are gone. He's going to take it all away. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. We're being saved from the power of sin. One day we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. But in this world, there are consequences. Where do you see that? Look, look at verse 34, or excuse me, verse 34, verse 7 back in Exodus. There's a phrase of this that every time we've read it, we've read it real fast. We lingered on slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and forgiving. But then there's this part, but who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What in the world does that mean? Here's what it means. God's forgiveness doesn't remove the temporary consequences of sin in my life. God will forgive me. But sometimes there are consequences to the decisions and choices. That's why God said don't do that. This in Exodus is the Old Testament equivalent of this verse in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 6 when the Bible says don't be deceived. God's not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. Here's the point. Obedience is sweeter than forgiveness. Listen, forgiveness is real. And ultimately in heaven, we won't have to deal with any more consequence. But listen, obedience is even sweeter. On this side of the cross, when we choose to follow him, we don't have to live with the consequences. Some people hear this thing on forgiveness, say, man, you, you teach this stuff on forgiveness. People are just going to live however they want to live. No, if you understand forgiveness, it makes you want to love Jesus and follow Jesus. But here's the other thing. If you understand there's still consequences. My sin is great. God's forgiveness is greater than my sin. Let's pray. Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray as only you can, you would communicate these truths. God, teach us what it means 
is your children to be loved, accepted, forgiven by you. As you sit quietly with your head bowed and eyes closed, in just a moment our team is going to lead us in a song of worship. We're going to have pastors here along the front. There's really two opportunities to respond. Number one, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't know what it means to be forgiven and have a relationship with God. When we stand in just a moment and we begin to sing, we're going to have pastors that are going to come on and join me now all along the front here. And If you're not a Christian but you want to know what it means to be forgiven by God and you want to know what it means to be his child, when we begin to sing, don't wait on anybody else, man, you just come right now. You just begin to come and come to one of these pastors and simply say, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody... Open a Bible and show you how you can experience the forgiveness of God. Maybe you stumbled in here today and your heart is heavy and your life is broken and you just hope beyond all hope that God can forgive you. Listen, He can. He's a forgiving God. But you got to come to Him. You got to come in repentance, acknowledging who you are and who He is. But secondly, there are probably some Christians in the room that. We've been dabbling in some sin. We've been choosing to disobey God. Listen, this altar is going to be open. You can just come make a fresh surrender. Just cry out to God. Embrace His forgiveness. Maybe there are burdens, challenges on your heart and your life, and you want to just come and get in one of these altars and cry out to God about something in your job, your health, your marriage, your family. Maybe you want to pray with one of our pastors. That's why we're here. As God speaks to you today, you respond to Him.